nothing wrong with Dad's situation. Dad's situation is fine, but he's never going to adjust to it if we keep yanking him out of there. All right, and actually, this upward mobility fixation of yours, it's counterproductive and, frankly, pretty selfish. Selfish? Yeah, because it's not about Dad. It's about you, you and your guilt. That's what these places prey upon. I, I happen to think it's nicer here. Of course you do. Because you're the consumer that they want to target. You're the guilty demographic. The landscaping, the neighborhoods of care, they're not for the residents, they're for the relatives. People like you and me who don't want to admit to what's really going on here. Which is what, John? People are dying, Wendy. Right inside that beautiful building right now, it's a fucking horror show. Right, and, and, and all this wellness propaganda and the landscaping, it's just there to obscure the miserable fact that people die. And death is gaseous and gruesome, and it's filled with shit and piss and rotten stink. Hello there, and welcome to Pivotal Film. I'm Tom Nolan. And I'm Mario Ponzio, and we are going to be exclusively on Apple TV from now on. Yeah, we cut a deal. Yeah, like everything else has. Are we selling out? Sure. Is that not? selling out? We're going to be exclusively on Apple TV. But here's the thing. If you're Martin on... Scorsese's going there. Oh, is he? Yeah. King, uh, uh, Killers of the whatever flowers. Is it's going to be there. Apple TV? Yeah, Come Apple TV's on, buying man. a bunch of shit, man. But here's the thing. If you go to like the fourth or fifth or sixth best streaming service like is that a is that considered selling out or is are you part of like an independent no i think thing? It's, i think it's like apple tv has the, the most leeway right now where apple tv is just like please god yes come to us and march versace is like i want like a 90 day exclusive theatrical window and they're like fine that's awesome why would he ask for that now i'm sure he would oh he so you don't know if he asked for that we don't know oh okay no, because no but one's getting any stuff. Yeah. Like a bunch of stuff is going to Apple TV. The I only... can't remember anything else off the top of my head, but uh, a bunch of things <sighs> are exclusively now going to Apple TV. I mean, I was maybe Apple TV will have higher standards than Netflix, where they just let him make a three and a half hour, you know, Al Pacino movie. Um, yeah, he's getting so the first look deal is is with Apple TV. Jesus Christ! Um, well, that just means that they can say no to it, right? Yeah, but they're not going to. Maybe maybe it'll be maybe it'll be four and a half hours. You still don't. You still won't say no. I suppose so. Do we think Apple TV wins? Do we think Apple TV wins the Best Picture Oscar before Netflix? Like Netflix just like <clears throat> runs out this year with like, you know, Trial of Chicago Seven, Devil All the Time, Mank. I'm thinking of ending things, uh, Mank, and then just like there's like no Greyhound wins Best Picture. Um, not this year. Maybe, I mean, you know. I mean, if the Oscars stick this year, they they have to give Netflix best picture. Well, here's and I think you're you're forced to at this point. I think you're forced to, yeah. I think one of those movies is going to be good. Well, in Def- Five and Bloods is still hanging out there, yeah, which is going to get nominated for best picture. And as we're like recording this, like the Devil All the Time trailer dropped today, and people are just. Oh, I still haven't read it yet. I'm mm-hmm. saving it for like the week before. Mm-hmm. But people are just who have read the book are over the moon for this trailer. Oh, good. Just saying, it's just like this is everything I want to see in it. Um, and I'm thinking of ending things is just going to be Charlie Kaufman being like, "Here's a 200 page book. I'm going to push this to the side and make my own fucking thing." Well, that trailer also looked awesome. 
Yeah. Like Tony Collette and David Thewlis. No, actually, I can't say yeah. I have not watched it because I oh. have heard. If you haven't read the book, you shouldn't watch it. So I'm oh, okay. Holding. I'm waiting until the week before each thing because apparently people love us when we do book stuff. Hmm. So like we can be a book <laughs> podcast now. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if we can squeak an hour out of that. It's, like you said, it's only 200 pages and one's the... Oh, God, no. No, well, I mean like the combined. Oh, okay. Maybe. Combined beast. Maybe. Maybe. I don't know. I, can, I, I, I texted can you about that. I three hours out of my love of Jesse Plemons. <laughs> yeah. I, um, lick every inch of sweat off that I neck. think it's it's the weird phenomenon with that 80s. movie where I can picture both the actresses that were attached to that role in that role perfectly and it and working and it working well in each in each aspect and it doesn't matter if david like thulis fits or not he'll fit david thulis always fits yeah he, that's the rule he, he is like that he's like the perfection cheat like the game perfection yeah like it's sort of like i got david thulis I'll put it in the star shape. I can it put works. this anywhere. In the circle. It works. <laughs> David Thewlis is like, I'm just building myself. Yeah. Like the lichen he played. <laughs> when did he play a lichen? In the Harry Potter movies, right? Oh, yeah. oh, the werewolf? Yeah. Yeah. The lichen. Lichen. This <laughs> is a werewolf. Lichen. That's the term for it, right? Uh, yeah. Professor Lupin. Oh, right. He's Professor Lupin. Lupin. Get it? Right. J.K. Rowling. Very clever. <laughs> you know, he wasn't. He definitely was not um, trans. Yeah, yeah. Let's, let's move on. Um, Mario. We're, oh, the beer. We're drinking beers. I already opened mine. I have not opened um, mine. I'm drinking half drinking it. a Negroni. There you go. Yeah. You want to talk about your, your, your Negroni? Oh, no. I make it well, ladies. <laughs> he does. He was very, very, um, you know, uh, precise oh, yeah. when he was making it. All right. Um, where were we? Oh, yeah. So, no, I'm going to say, I'll say. Yeah, yeah go ahead. Like, well, yeah, I got like four different like jiggers downstairs, you know. You pour out the precise. One and a half ounces, two ounces, half an ounce. And then I have another one and a half ounces. Do you need, you need those? No. You can't just eyeball it? I mean, do you eyeball science? Yes. It's true. It's America, Mario. No masks. It's America. No <laughs> Yeah, no mask. I know when I'm six feet away from somebody. Don't worry. Do you know who doesn't believe in science? Catholics. Wait, let's do oh, beer the first. Beer. God damn it. You know who does believe in science? Kent Falls Brewing Company. They've got this superscript IPA. It's an imperial pale ale made from 100% locally grown and malted grains because we love our farmers and it tastes better. Um, oh, that's a nice smell. I Let's 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 dink this and then I'll talk. But smell that. Mm. I've been smelling it, Mario. It's my, it's my, been my beer uh, over the last like three weeks or so. A friend of mine hates this beer, but like, well, you had I texted you about it, and you had mentioned that you thought it was too grassy. It's too grassy, like it's fine, but that smells nice. But I, I love a good fragrance of it. We had this conversation before about the 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 optical illusion, the blue point optical illusion. No, I'm wrong. You have to smell it. Oh, I've smelled it. It's delicious. And you know what this is? This is a glass beer. Oh, it's a glass beer beer for sure. Yeah. Um, but it's, you can't drink this out of the can. Just you want a glass? You gonna get a glass? Uh, I will later. Okay, but it's fucking delicious. Um, I love the shit out of it. Um, I drink it too much. It's a. I mean, it's probably only six percent. Six point two. Where is it? Six six percent. Yeah. No. So uh, Kent Falls, you did it again. You keep making beers that kind of blow the doors off my ass. Although I would like it if you made the substrate again. Um, which what, I had, which doors doesn't do you exist. have on your ass? I have several doors on my ass. Several layers of entrance. 
Um, or exits, you know. Nice. It's a portal. Hmm. <laughs> like an H.P. Lovecraft thing? Or? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh. I think the Catholics might have something to say about that as well. Yeah. They, they, <laughs> they definitely want several layers of protection mm-hmm. against... I'm just going to drink this out of the can. It's fine. He's got. I guess glasses sm- are far away. Glasses are far away. Smell it. Like I have to smell it before I drink but it. But here's the the thing. The problem with uh, I'll just say this. The problem with finding a beer that you love and like just drinking it and drinking it and drinking drinking it is that unless it moves into like a sea hag territory where it's just kind of like the beer that's always around in your house for just drinking purposes, the things that are amazing about it become slightly less amazing. Hmm. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. You just kind of you miss those first couple of notes that you got like the first time you opened it. You were just like, oh. Fucking shit. Yeah, and I'm not drinking beer lately. Like, I have, right. like, three beers, like, two beers a week right now. Like, mm-hmm. mostly I've been switching to Negronis. Yep. Just because, not Negronis, but just, like, cocktails in general. Just because I lost my appreciation of beer. I think that's I think that's about right. And I think I was kind of in that way, too, where, but this this is renewed it a little bit, but it's still, like, you know. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know where we go from here. Uh, You know who can't drink beer, I think? I don't think they can, because it's not the blood of God, well, of if, Christ. They, they they might not be able to, but they still they probably do it. They definitely can't masturbate to a can. <laughs> and this superscript can is something it's pretty. that I wouldn't necessarily want to masturbate to, but I wouldn't judge somebody who does. Mm. But you know who would? Timothy Simmons. Yeah. Timothy Simmons playing Father Murphy in the Karen Main uh, directorial debut, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, God, yes. Alice, this retreat isn't going to do you any favors if you're not honest. So have you ever felt turned on? I bet you actually did toss Wade's salad. I don't even know what that means. Oh my god, quit the act. You've got mail. I am friends with a pervy psycho. Oh, I'm all wet. Calm down, Gail. Not that wet. Yeah. You know, the truth is, nobody knows what they're doing any more than the rest of us. What are you doing? all hiding stuff all kinds of stuff your body is a gift from god you need to honor it everybody say jesus christ jesus Jesus Christ. christ Is that the trailer music for that song, yeah. movie? Yeah, that's right. That's terrible. The trailer's pretty bad. I didn't watch the trailer. I, I've i done this new thing where I don't watch trailers for things, except for Devil all the time. I don't know why I watched the trailer for that, but I just did. Because you're excited. Yeah. But I didn't watch the trailer for I'm Thinking of Ending Things, and I'm also excited for that. I just... Uh, but, like, not watching trailers is kind of a fun thing. I don't usually watch trailers. I only watch trailers when you tell me to watch trailers. Hmm, when you text me at like 12 that night and you're the, like, this trailer is good. The Costa trailers for Candyman have been. Well, the, yeah, those are good trailers. Yeah. You know, probably didn't watch trailers for anything <clears throat> was Alice. Because she was a very pious 16-year-old woman in early 2000s Midwest living the good Catholic life. Best place to be. It, it certainly was. They're, they're the ones who brought us... <laughs> You know, George W. Bush the second. Also, Mario brought you that. I apologize. Um, it was a day too. Um, Alice, you know, is, <laughs> is, is, is burgeoning into her um, 
womanhood, her her sexuality, I should say. Womanhood she's got some, sounds bad. She's got some feelings. Um, yeah, she's she's got some feelings. She's rewinded Titanic three times. Ugh. Fun story. I actually broke a VHS one of Titanic rewinding a similar scene in my own life. Yeah. So I understand that. Not necessarily the car scene, but the paint me like one of your French girls scene. I broke the VHS. Well, the car scene, I think, is a funny choice because there's not a lot to see in the car scene. It's sexy. Well, sure, but like, like, you know. But I guess they're responding to the sexiness and not like the Leo of it because it's just a, no, lot, they're just a sweaty just, face they're responding to like just the i mean surprisingly james cameron for how shitty of a director writer human being i actually don't know if he's a shitty human being <laughs> but just how like much he pales in comparison to his wife his ex-wife yeah Michael oh yeah Lowe, oh yeah and linda hamilton he like did a good he did a good thing sure that one time. yeah good work um alice is just you know she she has questions she has urges um and a lot, mostly questions, though, because we're living in a very limited world in Flyover State 2003 or whatever <laughs> it is. Um, you know, she doesn't know what things are. She doesn't know what certain sexual things are. She doesn't know what a rim job, a tossing salad is. Um, and eventually she, she has some cyber sex over AOL chat mm-hmm. and feels really guilty about that. And she's lifted off to... Um, a retreat, a four-day retreat of Catholicism. <laughs> that was very well said. That's literally what it is, a four-day retreat of Catholicism. Where she is subjected to a lot of scrutiny because it is believed that she tossed the salad of weed. Poor and Wade. She's been sexually active. Um and doesn't understand any of it, but also she's feeling these urges. She finds her cell phone vibrating between her legs, and she enjoys the feeling. But uh, she's been told that masturbation and all that entails is um, uh, a one-way ticket straight to the hell. It's like ticket to ride. That's the uh, one. Yeah. The one ride ticket straight to hell. You only mm. need one card of a color to get there. Yeah. And you know she 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 buries that guilt she's been known to kind of lie she's kind of she kind of has a deceitful nature to her to to she does like she she lies about her dog dying she lies about some other things and people see her as kind of like but only in that one instance we don't know anything about her before she gets to catholic camp yeah um so has she's sitting there and kind of like being buried down by everybody else like told she has to do menial work she looks around her and sees that a bunch of people are fucking around blowing each other masturbating the porn and she suddenly is sitting there going like well my urges aren't so bad and then eventually she you know embraces those urges and finds out it's not so terrible yep that is the entire plot of yes god yes good for her um, I find this movie eminently charming. Um, Natalie Dyer, who I don't think until this point is a good actress. She is I, object, objectively awful in Stranger Things. She's bad in Stranger Things. She ruins. And if you're listening, Natalie Dyer, hold on for a moment. 
You ruined Velvet Buzzsaw. <laughs> You're the worst part of Velvet Buzzsaw. Wait, who is she in Velvet Buzzsaw? She's Coco, like the like assistant to everybody. Oh yeah, she, she is, is fucking terrible in Velvet Buzzsaw. I've always looked at Natalie Dyer as someone with potential, and like this is realizing potential for me with Natalie Dyer. I guess, yeah, because like she embraces the one thing. Oh yeah, of, like, facial acting, and this movie is just like yeah, yeah, it's just like Natalie Dyer. There's a camera in front of you. Do something. And she does it. And yep. overall, like from a... It's, it's a short movie. You know me in short movies. Yep. Like this movie registers at 72 minutes. Um, I just find it... I find it a very charming movie. It has limited scope, I think. I, I don't think it's a film that works with anybody who's not been in this kind of like flyover state world. Because um, mm. it... it finds itself being slightly unbelievable or slightly nonsensical. Well, I don't know if that's a necessarily a case of, of, it, of its location or its geography as much as its, its believability. Continue. I have different believability no. problems with it. Um, but no, I, I find this movie Emily Charming um, and clever. Uh, it's, it's not necessarily concise, but it exists. It breathes enough for itself I, I just think it, it works to being a very charming fun movie and I give it a lot of credit oh, I thought you were going to develop a new rating system for oh, no. us for ending the, the film with Candy by Mandy Moore yeah. being like a little nod to Saved uh, yeah that was funny um, although it was in it was perfectly in line with the uh, totally pointless um, you know throwback to the to the early, early. Oh aughts, no, they, they... which just did not need to happen. Um, yeah, I think this movie stinks. Um, although I think it is is well made for what it for what it is. I just think it is, um, it exists in a universe of itself where everything that happens happens just to move the plot along, and there's a whole bunch of stuff that happens that doesn't even move the plot along. It just kind of happens, and she's like, oh, yeah, there was, um, Nina was blowing a guy, and then that girl was just like, why do you lie? And then it never gets addressed ever again. Oh, no, I, and, I totally agree with all and that. I suppose that, like, it's one of those things where, you know, it's just kind of, it's a, it's a culmination movie where every loose end doesn't really have to get tied up. It's all about what Alice learns. But, like, the thing that she learns, um, I suppose I like how she learns it. But the speeches that she gives after she learn the speeches she gives after she learns a thing, is just fucking awful. Um. No, yeah, I no, I I absolutely agree. I I think there's a lot of mispotential in this. I find so. I find this to be. This movie's interesting in the fact that like I. Find it to be something where it's 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 charming, but it demands like a certain sort of feeling going in not necessarily yes feeling, i agree but with a certain yeah. sort of like mindset going in yep and coming from like a really heavily like strictly christian background like i'm 100 percent tied to it from the get-go like mm-hmm. i can see a lot of things that's trying to do um i i but it, it's too soft in its finale mm. almost um in the sense of like when she does that speech where she's just like you know, tired of shit or whatever. Let's just like, all be ourselves. Yeah. I I was bummed out that she never admits 
to like the stuff with Wade. Like she doesn't take ownership over that. Like there was like a certain amount of ownership I wanted. Well, just from this film, but it didn't really. It didn't. It couldn't take ownership for something it didn't know that it needed. To, it wanted to. It should be asking for. So it became really obsessed with the idea. The movie was oddly obsessed with the idea that she, like, she and Wade did something. Yeah, and but it becomes oddly obsessed with the idea that the people around her's opinion matters, which I felt was a problem. I don't feel like yeah. I feel like something like Saved rests like Saved. I think is a better movie because Saved rests in the idea of like the people around you, like the, those people's opinion doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Yes, God, yes, kind of rests in like you're kind of in this world and right. their thoughts are something that should play a role. And I felt like it yeah. always towed the line of like saying like no like like when um father murphy timothy simmons not jake lacy um now again when you mentioned <laughs> that i was like fuck if jake lacy was in this movie i would at least well, give for, it a point or two literally for five years i thought jake lacy was in veep <laughs> he's not in veep no it's timothy simmons oh okay veep. i didn't i haven't watched a lot of Veep, but it sounds like something he could be in but it's just like they're the same person yeah but um, like when you see him masturbating to the porn video, I'm like, oh, this movie's gonna make like a hard right turn, and it doesn't. It kind of like toes the safety line. And I'm not like a fan of it towing the safety line. But the porn thing is not the porn thing is not necessary because she understands from the very first time that she tries to masturbate that there's nothing inherently wrong inherently with wrong with her. So she doesn't need to keep having it proved to her that there's nothing wrong with her. But because the movie is so tied, well, no, but it's like an these... outside. It's an outside perspective of like everyone else masturbates. Yeah, but that guy would not. That guy has an office with open windows, and there's a window in the kitchen. And if she didn't go to throw, the... he absolutely would masturbate. Yeah, no, absolutely. That Why would, would he do that? Because it happens. But if she was in the room, like with us, if she, if there was a garbage bag in the kitchen, that slop that she had in her hand that she was looking for someplace to throw would have gone in a garbage bag, and she would be just sitting there. Well, he cleaning walks, stuff. He walks to the kitchen, and there's nobody there, office. so he was just like, "Oh, I'm just gonna stop. I'm just gonna open this up real quick." And are you saying that's unbelievable? That scene? I just it's it's. I'm not saying that it's not believable. I'm saying that it's put. I don't even really care about its believability in in the context of like real life. I'm saying that in the context of the movie, it only happens so she can see it. Oh, for sure. That's just it. it it's it's not an earned. It's not well, an earned thing. It's also not necessary. Well, no, this movie has a lot of unearned potential. Like, the entire subplot with Chris makes no sense. Like, I don't give a shit. I mean, I, I find it clever that they focus on Chris's forearm hair. Like, well, I mean, that fun. was really funny. But it's, it's funny, also a but super it's... fucking cliche. Yeah. He's like, oh, I'm super... And he acts it very cliche. Like, oh, I'm a super Christian. I love God. What's His up with you? Blah, blah, blah. Wolfgang Novogratz, you're, you're not... You need to step up your game. Well, the the half of it was okay. He was okay in the half of it. I didn't see the half of it. Yeah, you did. No, we, we I did. We, 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 what's he in the half of yeah, it? Yeah, he was the boyfriend. He was Trig. Which oh he was kind of funny God. in. He's... Playing roughly the same character, but amusingly. Oh my God, it is him in it. Yeah. He can play absent-minded really well. But he's not supposed to be absent-minded in this movie. He's supposed to be minded. And if he's supposed to be absent-minded, it's because he's in a cult. And he's not supposed to be in a cult. He's just supposed to be in a regular Catholic retreat Which is person. a major problem. I, I, I feel as though that is an issue. Like, there's a, like, cultism issue. With, like, no, yeah. no. 
Catholicism in 2002, 2003 was not this. Like, no, this is, this is this different. needs to not be a Catholic movie, I don't think. Um, well, I feel like in... And which I don't necessarily know if that's like an appropriate response, but like, I don't know. There's, there's definitely for... There's definitely a degree of just... Too much suspension of disbelief in a lot of elements of this. For one, like from a production design issue... They did nothing. They did no work whatsoever to make you believe you're in the mid like early 2000s. I texted you do this about this. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a scene where she opens her fridge, and you see a Sunny D, like can, uh-huh. or, and it's it's a modern day Sunny D can. Like, there there was a major shift from the early 2000s to now. And yeah. I was like, oh, it's modern day, but kind of like eclectic Midwest. And all of a sudden, she jumps on like AOL chat, and I'm like, where the fuck are we? Well, yeah. And, and, like, there's a lot of issues with that, which I understand from, like, maybe a budget standpoint. Sure. Um, there's still Catholic schools, though. Yeah. Just but, make it to have it happen in 2018. But at the same point, like, I don't even think Catholic high schools of this time period, like, growing up in a, in a really conservative area where Catholicism was heavy, were this stringent. Like, there's... I don't know. I don't. I don't know. There's some issues with the believability of that. Yeah, I mean, um, but I just feel like the, I think the Catholic thing is is super convenient because I think even in 2019 or 20 or 18 or 16 or 17 or whatever year, if but not you 14, were, not 14, 14, never 14, 14 was just fucking wild. If man. you were a 16 year old girl who was at a party and all of a sudden the rumor got out that you tossed some guy's salad, a Maybe you don't know what it is. Maybe you do now. Maybe all girls now are ingrained. I will the admit this: of... I did not know what tossing salad meant until like 2013. Do you think that they put that disclaimer thing in there just so people would know when they they started watching the movie? The disclaimer, like in the beginning of the movie, it shows two definitions for tossing salad. I didn't see that. Oh yeah, it's like the very first thing. It's like a black screen and then like definition: toss oh. salad like a salad. And then toss salad, like, you know, the connotation that it has in this movie. I feel like if the rumor got around that a, a guy got his salad tossed, a guy that has a girlfriend got his salad tossed by this random girl in a sauna at a party, I feel like that's still a big deal in a high school, in, like a, in a relatively small high school or yeah. whatever it is, you know what I mean? That's not, like, not news. That's still a problem. She's still going to be branded as something if she's tossing a taken guy's salad. It's just, I hope, the, I hope the people listening in the lower level of our Pivotal Film Studios are enjoying this conversation. Um, that's still going to be an issue. And she still might have, like, Kasdan some... Kasdan loves solid talking. <laughs> He's like, we're talking about romaine or red meat? Wouldn't it be funny if he was like... like <laughs> guys, hold on a sec, hold on a second. We're talking mescaline? Stroke once. End dive? Is there an end dive in there? Yeah. Um, is it oh, a, is oh, it, a second. I'm almost there. I'm is, almost there. Is it an iceberg wedge? Um, yeah, this is. He's been listening the whole time, and this is when we get a cease and desist order. I'm using his name because, because of this. I feel like it's still a problem. I feel like the Catholicism thing is like an easy mark. It's used as like an easy mark, something that they can start. They can start we- hitting. It's a weird mark though, because it's like not a necessarily conservative mark but it's also anymore. a weak mark like yeah we get that catholics and but all religious people like it doesn't have to be catholics in 2000 and 
one, whatever, George Bush is running roughshod over America, mainly because the religious right was just like, yes, please, like, you know, do this. So they were very prominent. They also would have espoused a lot of this garbage in, like, their fundamentalist schools. And you know at that I mean? point, like, the Catholics were like, this seems a little crazy. Well, I think at that point, too, and you, I, I don't really pay that much of attention to religion. I feel like at that point, the Catholics were just like, we have to maybe update our policies because people don't care about us anymore. John Paul II's dying. <laughs> Yeah, 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 and so that's where, I mean, you know, look, watch the two popes, and that's where the, the yeah, weirdo exactly. Benedict the, thing the, comes in, when they decided they wanted to, like, uh, they wanted to... What's a return to normalism matter. thing? But no, so, just going back, um, from a film standpoint, like, ignoring all the choices this makes, I think it works. I don't think it's incompetent. I think she's, I think... She shoots it. Really it. rests a lot on Natalie Dyer, and I think and it, Natalie good. Dyer fucking knocks it out. I of the think park. she does a good job. I think she sells some of the indecision. I think she sells some of the the fee, the the, the um, confused that, feelings. Yeah, and that last moment of just like discovery with her, like in that last shot. Mm-hmm. I mean, it sounds it sounds weird saying this. It's like a white male, but like a white man. But just like when she like finds the vibrating toy or whatever, and just kind of like puts it against herself and just like has that like shocked face yeah like that's a lot of stuff going on there yeah it's like from beyond like a sexual standpoint it's just like is a lot of just like oh wow i've been like repressed to like making the sense of like this feels good right and and like she sells that really well instead of like oh this is sexual just like a like a what like, this isn't what it's supposed to feel. And, like, there's a lot of that in this movie of just, like, her selling this facial, like, reaction. Mm-hmm. And just, like, w- like constantly discovering something new. And she's, like, doesn't always sell it with the same face. Which is surprising. Because, like, I hate to shit out of dire. Like, everything I've seen her before, she's fucking yeah. missed the mark. Well, and so to that point, I think uh, Maine is a better director. Karen Maine is a better director than she is a writer because i think do we know that though like she this is her first directed no but i think like obvious child was fine but she didn't really write it it's like a story credit like you know she's attached to the screenplay but uh, obvious you can't compare obvious child to this obvious child is a better movie times 100 yeah again with jake lacy (laughs) that's how you know so you just gotta put jake lacy in (laughs) that's how you know um but no i think a lot of the shots are good I remember thinking with, with the arm hair thing, I was like, that's really clever and well done. Um, I think some of the... I think the way the way she frames Natalie Dyer's face is really... Or Natalia she, Dyer's face is really... Um, oh, Natalia, not Natalie. I just... I think it's... Yeah, Natalia. Yeah. Um, I'm reading a book that has a Natalie in it too, and it's Nat, It's Irish, so they just keep saying Natalie. Oh, they weren't even... I wasn't even here. <laughs> It was a waste. It was a waste of tossed salad conversation. Um, I think the way that they frame her is good and um, well, and, be, and and right. Beyond that, there's a real control of production. Like a yeah. lot of the way the music enters this movie, yeah. and a lot of the way like the sound and like perspective enters this movie is like a solid control. Mm-hmm. I I don't necessarily think this is a film that necessitates a feature length picture. I think it's really good. I think it's solid and fun. But it's an idea that wastes itself after like forty or so minutes. Well, there's a yeah, there's a point where it gets into the when they're in the at the retreat when it um, she has like a second conversation I think about or maybe that's not at the retreat. 
When she has a second conversation, no, it's not the. Um, oh, it's the it's the, the dog. Th- it's the dog thing. No, it's the dog. Okay, thing. Yeah, yeah. When it's just all about when the the, the thing becomes clear that they it's a retreat about guilt, and I'm just Which, like, why was why does this retreat exist? Like, does this retreat exist just so people can? Like so, kids could feel guilty. That which can't up, be the point. Which of this. ends up becoming like a problem, because it makes you, as a viewer, think like Alice's main issue is like the fact that she's going to always fall back on lying, like the fact that she lies about the dog. She lies about she never like assesses up to Wade not being the person who looked up tossing salad. Right. So it ends up bringing up this question of like, oh, is the issue with like. Religion being that Alice ends up doing something that's actually harmful in lying mm-hmm. um, versus like just expressing herself sexually. Like you end up thinking like, is this a point of the movie and that doesn't explore that? But it's just like, no, it's just a thing to kind of like make things carry out to a feature length. Right. That's really, really, really like perfect because it gold, gold star. star. Um, <laughs> it is. A, it makes it seem like it's about her as like a. Um, uh, it makes it seem like it's about her lying rather than about her not knowing how to feel stuff or not knowing what she could feel or she should feel. Yeah. It's a, it's so it makes it a movie about, um, you know, the veracity of her statements and is she a, some kind of like weirdo socio, like sexual sociopath or is she just a, confi- a weird subplot that like plows out really quickly. Right. Or is she just a confused teenager, which is like a totally normal thing to be, yeah. which even a Catholic should understand. But apparently Catholics don't understand anything in 2001 to 3. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, they started getting like modern music. John Paul II died. It was just like, it was a mess. Napster. Yeah, Napster. <sighs> then the World Cup happened and who the fuck knows what happened there. That was a tough World Cup. That was a France one. Yeah. Zinedine Zidane. Headbutting people in the chest. It's I, tough. I was just trying to go back to the two popes conversation because oh. i rewatched that movie in preparation for my list of movie i love two popes two popes is good um but overall i think this movie rises above a lot of its problems it's a promising directorial debut uh natalia dyer shows a lot of promise mm-hmm. um i hope this carries on to the fourth season of stranger things because i'm gonna have to watch no, I'm it good i'm good and I, I think stranger things should should be over it's not it's they just need it's to finish done. a couple of things let's just let's move on I watched one season of Stranger Things. I was like, "That's fun," and then it kept going on. And I was like, "I'm good. I don't need this." I watched thing. one episode of Stranger Things. And I was Apparently, like, cool. Francesca Real was in the third season. Oh the yeah, one who plays her friend. I yeah. was like, "Oh, okay, that's cool." Stranger Things is fucking garbage. Yeah, it's tough. I watched like the first three episodes of the second season. Oh, the second until, season like, is it gets to um, like them as Ghostbusters, like Halloween. I was like, "Oh, now you're just sucking the cock of Reagan era 1980s." I'm well, good. it's all about nostalgia. It stopped being about story. It stopped being about anything. It was just about nostalgia. Well, look at this yeah. 80s thing. No, look at this 80s like, thing. Like, the first season was, like, not great. It was just pretty, no. like, ambient or um, whatever it is. Um, E.T., that production company. Mm-hmm. Style. Amblin. Amblin's style production. Yep. With, like, slight nostalgia. And then second season was, like, like, all nostalgia. And I was like, nope, you're not good enough for this. Yeah, Stranger Things. Get rid of Matthew Bodine. What do you, do you even have a show? Well, they got rid of him and they brought in Paul Reiser. I didn't, I didn't watch it. So who that. wins that one? Who wins that one? I mean, Matthew Modine, and Sean Astin. Matthew Modine is in Wrong Turn Seven, so Matthew Modine wins that. All right. Um, anything else? Yes, God. Yes. 
Oh, said enough. I mean, do we want to talk about wrong turn now? No, we're not going to talk about wrong turn. <laughs> sure. We're not talking about any Matthew. We, we, are, we did talk about a Matthew Modine movie on this list. Yeah. That's tough. It's a tough one. And Tom Berenger? Did Tom Berenger? I remember we talked about Sniper. Not on the list, yeah. but we talked about... No, Berenger. You, Tom Berenger was in a movie no, that No, Tom Berenger was on the list, because Tom Berenger was in... Um... Was Tom Berenger in... Inception. Yeah. Oh, yeah, Inception. The episode you fucking made last week. That's true. I didn't listen to all those. <laughs> I, I started cutting those episodes apart, and I was like, shit, this is going to be a long fucking episode. And Tom Bear just sneaks right in. Yeah. Just like Rugger Howard sneaks Bear right Jim. into that Batman Begins episode. He does. My mom was happy. She doesn't listen to this podcast. I, <laughs> I say cut too much. I don't think you've said it in a long time. I haven't. I was I've, told I can't say cunt. But the Catholics? Fucking Catholics. All right. No, we will be right back with a very Catholic movie for my number 22. Welcome back. Mario. Drinking another beer really quickly. Yeah, what is this one? This is Glitter Party by Hog River. I don't know if we're going to have another shot to drink this beer. It's a pretty good one. Want to top yourself off? Oh, thank one? you. Thank you, sir. It's a nice of you. Double IPA, 8% by volume out of Hartford, Connecticut. They don't have a little shitty thing to say about themselves because they're letting the beer speak for itself. Ooh. I like this one. It's like a, it's got a sweetness to it. Mm. It's a New England style IPA that's like pretty, just typical. But I like typical New England style IPA. Tastes good. Yeah, nice and cloudy. Yeah. Um. All right. So this is another one of those ones, folks, that we're not gonna have a long conversation about because this is gonna show up on Mario's list uh, much <laughs> much later at some point. At some point. Um. And it's a it's a it's a pivotal film for both of us. As I said a couple of weeks ago, my list, my movies in this part of the list are all at one point my favorite movie of all time. Um, and this this movie kind of stands uh, above a lot of those movies um, for a lot of re- a lot of different reasons, um, and then just for a lot of like perfectly regular reasons. It is the 1998 Joel and Ethan Coen film, The Big Lebowski. Thank you, Bob Dylan. Um, You're welcome. My thinking... <laughs> when I think about this movie, Mario, I ask myself... I wanted to ask you a question when I was like, think about this movie, which is, do you remember your first day beer? 
Like a daytime one. beer. Oh, wow. Because when I was... A, no, my first... So the first, like, daytime... So I had beer, like, that my dad had given me when I was younger. It's like, like we talked about this before, yeah. that I tried out. But the first daytime beer I ever had was the night after, like, a... Not a bender, but the night after I got pretty shit-faced at a party. Mm-hmm. And somebody said, like, have a shower beer. Mm. My first time, like, having a daytime beer was a shower beer. I do remember that. There you go. Okay. So, but you were, like, how old were you? Like... 19. Ni- exactly. Okay. Perfect. So I was... um. Also 19, um, I was had a day off. My friends, uh, Luke and Charlie, I believe. I don't remember dude, who the, sec- the third dude, dude. person was. Decided they had to show me a movie that they, they'd seen. So we got some Blimpy. We got oh, s- wow, Blimpy. We got some Coors Lights. They had Blimpy out here? Yeah, we had Blimpy, Blimpy out here. Blimpy was good. Got some Coors Lights, and we went to his, went to his house... No, it was my friend Bill. It was Luke and Bill. And went to his house in West Haven. He lived right on this little little shitty lake. Actually, a pretty good house. And it was the you know, sun everywhere. And we're just like sitting, eating sandwiches and drinking beers. And we're not supposed to be drinking because we're not 21. Sounds like a good day. And we watched The Big Lebowski Mario. And it was a... Wait, what year is this? This is like 2001. 2001. Okay. It was a transcendent movie-going experience. Um... The first time John Goodman opened his mouth, it was pretty much the best thing I'd ever heard anybody say, ever. Um, and that and that holds true to today in a lot of ways. Where I was watching clips of this because so I didn't watch it again because we're not going to talk about it very much. But I just wanted to kind of refer, I, I wanted to have it like in my mind and just like that his face when he's talking to Smokey. You know what I mean? And, uh, you know, that little, that, that hound, that sad hound dog face where he just can't fucking be bothered to do this shit. And he knows he's fucking right and he's just got to listen to it. It's just one of the great faces like in the history of film. And I just think I laughed nonstop as hard as I've ever laughed before at anything for the du- complete duration of this movie. And in a lot of ways, it's weird. I, one time I said to this, I said to John Hour of the Posies. I saw him at a restaurant show in New Canaan, and I went up to him after the show, and I was like, "Oh, your, your, your album, just in case we need to plug in, which is like their this acoustic record." Um, like I was like, "It changed my life," and he's like, "Oh, cool, how?" And I was like, "I don't know, but I just feel it. I feel that like I'm different now that I, I heard this, like I heard versions of these songs in this acoustic setting, and it did something to me." The same thing holds true for the Big Lebowski. I have no idea how my life would have turned out if I didn't see The Big Lebowski in that context with those guys, with like a non-drinker. I mean, I had drank a couple times. I had like, you know, nights on a golf course or like that one, the first time I drank in a hole um, in the woods. Yeah, who was in a hole in the woods? We just all gathered around this hole in the woods. Oh, okay. So you weren't stuck in a hole. Right? No, someone did get stuck in the hole at one point, but, right. you know. Um, but it seemed so, like, weirdly grown up. Like, just hanging out, eating mm. sandwiches, drinking beers, watching a movie. It, I don't know if it was the first time I felt like a grown up, but I definitely remember feeling like, this is a good life. I could do this for a long time. What's, what's interesting, and I'll mention this, um... Because this isn't the reason why it's a pivotal film for me is the fact that like this movie like the re- the way I approached this movie was in two thousand and six or seven, 
And it was the first movie I ever chose from a cable TV, like, video on demand Oh, thing. yeah. So, like, I had seen, I think I had seen Lady Killers. <laughs> and I was just like, I want some more Coen Brothers in my life right now. And I, I, I felt grown up. Yeah. Like, I was like, this is my cable subscription that I'm paying for. <laughs> and I'm choosing Big Lebowski. And, like, Sam Elliott popped on the screen. I was like, mm, yeah, I'm, like, a grown-up now. It's weird. Like, Big Lebowski is, like, the not grown-up movie, but, like, it makes you feel grown-up. But it's also, like, weird. It's, like, weirdly very sophisticated. And we don't, I don't really need to talk about it, but, like, it's the... Ins- well, I mean, we will. We will. But the ins and outs, and, you know, to quote... In about 19 movies, guys. <laughs> They all know. They've all had that on the list. They're like, oh, it's got to be this one. <laughs> um, the ins and outs of this one are, they all come together at the end. Is it satisfying? Like, narratively? Absolutely. I don't know. But by the end of the movie, you don't even fucking care. That's, and that's the beauty of the movie. This is that, movie's like, like a Riley Reed experience. Oh, it's just, it's, it's, uh, it is some kind of fucking thing. And it's weird that it's take. when I watched it, I didn't know anything about it and i actually feel like the the culture in and of itself hadn't kind of adjusted to the big lebowski being the thing that it was you know um it was like right after that that the like lebowski fest kind of started cropping up um i remember oh so when you saw when i saw it like it was just a big lebowski i don't think lebowski fest starts until like oh four yeah i think but i remember going to bob's i mean i think like being john malkovich helps this movie a lot how so? Like, I think being John Malkovich kind of like... Ex- it's acceptable weirdness. Yeah. Yeah. But I remember going to... Uh, I wanted to buy a really big hooded sweatshirt. And me and my friends all dr- drank White Russians for like the next two years. Like exclusively, it was just Kahlua vodka and milk. Really quickly though. And cream. Yeah. I have to ask this question. As somebody who's like trying to get into like cocktailing... White Russians. What's your what's your real opinion on them? I it was disgusting, but we They're drank them. Fucking terrible, right? Yeah. Like I drank White Russians after I saw this movie for a while. They're terrible. It fucks you up. It fucks you up, and it's bad. Yeah. It's like sweet and liquor. But that's the thing we didn't know, so we're all just which fucking... also which also makes sense with like yeah what the dude is doing. But we're all just like we would go to we'd have not even parties. We would just go hang out at my friend's house and play like video games and we would pass around like plastic you know gas station tumblers of like creamer with you know non-dairy creamer with you know Kahlua and vodka we you gotta really you gotta mix it with your finger you gotta do you gotta mix it with your finger you gotta do it um and that's just how we lived our life it was like my friend Luke um was Walter in his life like for the for maybe he still is I don't know I haven't seen him in a long time maybe he's still Walter he was fucking Walter he just it was a thing that we just adopted and grafted it onto ourselves who's, and we, who's Donnie is he in a Folgers can now or yeah there was no Donnie okay that's good <laughs> what's all that Vietnam stuff oh it's great um but yeah I love this movie it's uh it's weird. I haven't seen it in a while. And I think did, you, did you watch it for this episode? I'm I just watched some clips. No, I didn't watch it because I wanted to be. I wanted yeah, to this, fresh. This is going to be. With this is going to be an episode. Yeah. Like spoilers. This is my number three movie. Um, <sighs> fucking why not? Just say spoil it. it. Yeah. They um, all know. They all know. They all know. My number. Well, I just said it's coming up in that's 19 true, that's movies. True. It's 
it's my number three movie. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm wondering, like, so I, I will say this, this makes my number three because it defines comedy for me. Like, like this is like what I find funny. Like okay. I find like, this is ant kind on screen to me. Like, um, outside those last fucking 200 pages. Like once I bet they're the Coen brothers favorite pages. No, I'm sure. But like, <laughs> you know, like, like, ridiculous sort of loose nihilism I, I've always found funny and like I couldn't find that voice forever mm-hmm. um, and Big Lebowski was that voice for me like that's why it, it shows up here and then like eventually I kind of found that elsewhere like when, when Peter Stormare says we believe in nothing where you're just like Ugh. no I, I, I also believe in <laughs> no it's it more the sense of like him saying that made me realize what he was saying meant nothing like it was him saying that made me realize what he was saying was ridiculous. We believe in nothing. Yeah, okay. But, like, like so what really spoke to you in that moment? Well, like, so I don't feel like I'm feeling like, what spoke to you? I, so it's interesting. I, I think it's so great that you said, like, this defined comedy for you because my definition of comedy is going to come in five, four or five or six movies. I don't remember exactly where the thing is. Um, this was a re... I think this was a reaffirmation of everything that I kind of loved about the Monty Python stuff, which is the yeah. stuff that I grew up with, which was like the pin, which was the pinnacle of comedy as far as I was concerned. Life of Brian and the Holy Grail. There was nothing funnier. <laughs> Mark the, off another one, guys. Yeah, there was nothing funnier than those, than those two movies. And then this movie showed up, and this movie took the Python stuff, which I think the Coens would probably attest to, and pushed it to. Um, they wrapped it in an L.A. noir kind of feel. Well, wait. And then they pushed the comedy so far out beyond anything that the Pythons would have even dared to have tried in, like, the 70s. Um, and it became... It's, it's, it's something else. It, it exists in and of itself. It, the way it has I've always, no... It's not attached to anything. The way I've always sold Big Lebowski to people is imagine you appreciate, like, Holy Grail humor left on the like stove top for a few seconds like it's a simple syrup and you leave it and it becomes too refined and maybe it's too sweet for you Pep. Mm-hmm. but like it becomes so concentrated like that's why i've always kind of like had the mindset of it's well, like big lebowski's like unwavering with its kind of not message necessarily but like just unwavering with just what it's doing whereas like holy grail breathes it's well. It's a full. So here's for me. I don't. Like, like, maybe I would frame me, it. Uh, yeah. Funny. Maybe the way I'm going to frame it is a different thing. And attaching it to Holy Grail is it where I think Holy Grail kind of is limited to because of its age, because of what it was made, because of the nature of what the Pythons were doing, because it was like a sketch thing. Mm. Um, this almost seems like it's uh, it's like a really it's like a one star Michelin one Michelin star chef versus like a three Michelin star chef. A Bobby Flay versus a Gordon Ramsay. I don't. I don't know if I would. If I would go, <laughs> I just like that Gordon Ramsay. Yeah. Um, Fuck you, Bobby Flay. But yeah, you're a real always, Lawrence Kasdan of. <laughs> it chefs. always. I always find it amazing that Bobby Flay. I think did have a Michelin star at one point, or maybe even still does. Um, no, he lost it. He doesn't have any. It. It's. It's flavors developed. It's comedic flavors developed in a way that are wholly unexpected. Mm-hmm. Like to go to the to go to the chef's table, the Netflix show. Um, Analogy so. to push this further. In season two, they do the they do the episode on Alinea, 
which is that Chicago restaurant where they do like edible balloons that like actually float the dessert they make like literally on your table they squirt shit all over your table and they break dehydrated things he does this thing where he turns he makes strawberries out of like tomato it's a lot of molecular stuff it's a lot of crazy things but it's it's but apparently it's delicious it's it's the big lebowski is a linea where Monty Python and the Holy Grail is just some fucking amazing restaurant that's mm. been there for 50 years that you know every single time you're going to go in there exactly what flavors you're going to get, but they're always going to make you fucking happy. It's a real Sally's Peppies scenario. No, it <laughs> isn't. <laughs> I just wanted to throw that out. <laughs> thank you. For, thank you for teeing it up like that for me. Um, there's moments in The Big Lebowski that go beyond normal person comedy. You know what I mean? Like, or go beyond normal person stuff. The Jackie Treehorn stuff, the moment they get to the Jackie Treehorn's, you know, ranch, and they're throwing that girl up in, in like, the parachute, and just that guy's, the slow motion of that guy's face is, there's no reason for that to be there. In a normal comedy, that's not there. They don't introduce scenes that mean nothing. You know what I mean? They don't have dream sequences set to, like, the perfect songs those are the perfect songs t-bone burnett would earn his kind of like name recognition with a terrible fucking movie that the coen brothers did later oh brother that's when he became like a household name t-bone burnett like just fed them all these stuff no nobody i didn't know even at like even with Oh Brother, I didn't know. The only reason I knew about T. Burnett is because he worked with John Hyatt, and we were John Hyatt people, and my, um, who's like a singer-songwriter. T. Burnett. Um, it's just... Cold it, Mountain is where I first knew him. It's just... Oh, no, yeah, and Walk the Line. <sighs> but Actually, he has a crazy heart. And he does have crazy heart. Crazy heart's great. Good for you. And that has Jeff Bridges. Maybe there's a Jeff Bridges thing. Jeff Bridges it's connection. Crazy. Jeff Bridges. Needless to say, the Big Lebowski kind of... it's. If if the only reason I think it's here and not higher than here is that it stops at the comedy. It doesn't have that like doesn't have that existential component to it. You know what I mean? Like the other stuff that's gonna come a little further does. Like with me, it combines comedy and no one. Like yeah. my thing is like my two of my three favorite genres are noir comedy and horror. And And you love is, the red hot chili peppers. Do I? My first, actually, <laughs> professional wrestling theme was Love Roller Coaster, so maybe. That makes sense. Professional wrestling. Backyard wrestling. <laughs> I should say. <laughs> um, um, yeah, but yeah. yeah, so that's, I mean, that's why it is. It's, I'm excited. To, I'm, I'm sad that this is going to take us so fucking long to get to where we need to. <laughs> it took us like three years. Yeah. Because of COVID. Because the COVID's going to happen. We're going to be separated for like 17 months. <laughs> we'll be on Zoom, like, what do you want to do this week? I watched I watched a bunch of Sesame Street. Let's do American Pickle again. No. Yeah. All these Amer- American Pickle, a movie I'm not going to watch next week. I want to talk to you about that for next episode. Oh, okay. I'm not in... I saw the reviews. I'm like, I'm good. I'm going to be very honest with you, Mario. I'm grateful because I'm not interested. Let's do a... She Dies Tomorrow. Okay. Yeah, Amy Simons. I thought... Uh, it's bummed. Um, we like Amy Simons. Yeah, she I was the Simons. best thing in Pet Cemetery. Then, one of the best things in your next. No, that's true. I didn't see that, but you said. It was in my 
pivotal, ten. not yeah. pivotal list. Um, but yeah, so Big Lebowski, um, let's get out We're of here. We're going to be deep into Big Lebowski. Don't worry. If anybody's like, Big Lebowski, you guys didn't talk enough about Big Lebowski. Well, then you are going to jizz all over. I feel like people have to be used to this phenomenon by now. We've done it a lot of times. But we have a really exciting thing for you. I cheated. And coming up soon is two movies. Because I'm a fucking dick. But they're both good. I've mentioned multiple times in this podcast how around 2005-2006 I started really caring about seeing everything I could. It is a phenomenon or a weird tick that exists to this day. I, I need to see everything that could potentially be a nominee. Possibly because I have like a, a superiority complex. I'm just like, no, you're wrong. Yeah. Um, but it really started deep down in 2006. Um, I got a AVA, AVI rip of Half Nelson. Mm. That I watched under like a small screen, like a small little like... Where it was, it was like, was it like AVL? Like, you had the little um, traffic cone? Yeah, yeah. What the hell was that, like, script called? I don't know what it was, but, mm-hmm. like, I played that, and, like, it wouldn't expand to bigger, so you had to watch it, like, in a little, like, 16 by whatever screen. It was, it was like, a 4 by 3 screen, but I watched Half Nelson that way, and I was like, mm, Ryan Gosling, are you good enough? I saw Half Nelson at the Jacob Burns Film Center, mm. and it was packed. That was a better I had to wait in it. line. That is a much better way of watching this. Um, but 2006 was like the period of time where I was like, I'm going to really get deep in the movies. Like, I yeah. fucking got so excited for Pan's Labyrinth, which we'll talk about. And, you know, excited for everything. And I had a roommate who was as deeply excited for film as I was. And 2007 was... A, year where we kind of like started culminating with things we would have a yearly gathering which predates the pivotal film awards mm. where we called it the awards that mattered yeah we went to olive garden had <laughs> some, like an office episode had some pasta and uh a lot of breadsticks and three of us would sit together and like give our awards i gave rain over me best actor so this, this shows you how... For Adam Sandler or Mike Bender? For, for Adam Sandler, yeah. Uh, this shows you how, Mario, how rough... I'm not sure how I feel about that. How I, I rough didn't know that. might be. But in two, it got to a point where we would make sojourns for films. And in February 2008, I was in my senior year, last semester of college. And I was already suffering from... Suffering. I was already starting to feel this weird sense that I was going to leave. Mm. I knew I was going out east. The Pivotal Film Studio was calling me with its horn. <laughs> yep. This tower. Um, and I knew I was leaving everything I was comfortable with. I had, I had a long-term girlfriend slash fiancé. Um, you know, 21-year-old fiancé, whatever that matters with. Not really fiancé. Uh, I had my entire life out west. And I knew I was going to leave all that behind. And I started suffering from really 
bad, severe anxiety. Mm. And I didn't, had never felt anxiety before then. I had had my entire life be really easy. Mm-hmm. I was student body president of my high school. I don't know how it happened, but like I was popular in high school. I was popular in life. Makes sense. I mean, I'm not stroking my own dick, but I am right now. I'm just really popular <laughs> until this point. And it was, a, it was a point in my life where I was like, things are going to change. Yeah. But I was dedicated to watching everything I possibly could. Mm-hmm. And two movies were kind of like on the list. It's, it was late February 2008. Two movies were on the list, like the nominations had been announced, and these two movies were sticking out. They did the, stick out, yeah. The blind spots. Yep. One of them was the four-time Academy Award nomination, nominated Diving Bell and the Butterfly. And the other one was the double-nominated Savages. And I sat there going, like, I haven't seen either of these films. And, like, I needed to see these movies before the Academy Awards happened. And the Academy Awards were coming up. And so my friend, who was has deeply invested, said, "Hey, Tower Theater in Sacramento Whoa. is playing both of these movies. Tower Theater apparently is next door to Tower Pharmacy, which would eventually become Tower Records. Huh? I never knew that. Oh, I didn't know they did. And he's like, they're playing them in such an arrangement where Savages happens first in one theater, and Diving Bell and Butterfly happens in another theater. And I lived in Reno." two and a half hours away from Sacramento. And he was like, let's go on Saturday and see both of these movies. And I was like, fuck yeah, let's do it. Gotta do it. And so we drove out, me a ball of anxiety for an unsuspecting life that was to come post-college. And we saw The Savages and Diving Bell and the Butterfly. Same like right one right after another. Savages first, Diving on the Butterfly ten minutes later. And both these movies had to deal with death. A real hard core forward description of life at its end. And they fucked me up. Yeah. Because I went from a period of thinking about change, thinking about like, oh, my life is transitioning into something else, to my life is ending Hmm. and they have been until this moment the two movies that have fucked me up the most because i went from a good christian boy who was like when you die i got back from this these movies that night going like when you die something happens and i got back that night going like when you die well, what happens? Mm-hmm. And that's why cheating, my number two, is both The Savages by Tamara Jenkins and Julian Schnebel's The Diving Bell and the Butterfly. I got us an interview. It's called Green Hill Manor. Sounds like an insane asylum. You're an idiot. Can we just play the game? It's not funny. <laughs> we'll need to know your father's burial or cremation plans. What kind of question is that? Something they want for the records. 
Who? The people who run the place. What the hell kind of hotel is it? Fox Searchlight Pictures presents... Maybe Dad didn't abandon us. Maybe he just forgot who we were. A serious comedy about what happens when everyone in the family... What do you think? What's it do? Nothing. ...finally starts acting their age. You're doing the right thing, man. You're taking better care of the old man than you ever did of us. I know. When you're dealing with dementia, you have to bring things in to stimulate their memory. Excuse me. Uh, we we haven't served the refreshments yet. Um, when I saw these movies, I was super stoked for Diamond Bell the Butterfly. I'd seen the trailers, and the trailers for Diamond Bell the Butterfly are amazing, fucking amazing. Did you see? Had you seen Basquiat yet? No. Okay. I, it, this is my first Julian Schnabel mm-hmm. movie. I think. Is that true? Is this true? That is. No, I'd seen Before Night Falls, but it didn't do anything for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd seen nothing for Savages, and I'd seen the trailers for um, Diamond Bell and Butterfly. And I was, like, emotionally prepared for Diamond Bell and Butterfly, uh-huh. but I had just known that, like, Savages deals with, like, end-of-life stuff. And it's Tamara Jenkins. And if we've been listening to this podcast for a while, you know Tamara Jenkins and me. Like, Tamara Jenkins... Basically knows how to get how how to get into like the the close knit part of she's Mario. She's just like just sitting like right behind you and stabbing. just like stabbing you right yeah. in the ribs, yeah. Which is which is great because like Tamara Jenkins is like one of the best fucking directors working. Yeah. Um, the Savages deals with John and Wendy, who are two kind of like I don't want to say derelict, but um, two siblings who are navigating life the best they can because both of their parents have kind of neglected them or abused them. Um, one of them, Lenny, Philip Bosco, in a, just a fucking amazing performance. Mm. Kind of like a criminally underrated performance. Um, I, I, I agree with you. It's Because it's so understated. Yeah. Um, he has abused them so understatedly in his life that it just has defined their lives. Both of them are unable to commit to any sort of relationship because of what they've seen their father and mother mm. go through. Their mother's kind of disappeared, but he's now dealing with the throes of dementia and they're trying to figure out end-of-life care for him. Um, they, you know, Wendy's trying to find the best assisted living or as, you know, Roger Ebert said, his, his aunt said was assisted dying care. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and John's just trying to just go like, whatever. It, it's just kind of a thing. Just and do we got to get through it. Um, I was not prepared for this movie in any sort of way mm-hmm. when I watch it. And that, um, I was dealing with it. Like you deal with that diner scene. You're like, oh, this is deep and intense. You get to that parking lot scene from the beginning of the episode. Mm-hmm. Where, you know, um, Philip Seymour Hoffman calls it a horror show. And Philip, like, I had two weeks earlier seen Sidney Lumet's Before the Devil Knows You're Dead, mm. which had already, like, punched me in the kind of gut. Good one, yeah. Just of everything that had happened in that. Um, <laughs> like, when that scene happens, I'm just like, oh. And it's just, it, 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 it built on, it, 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 it fell on to me this kind of, like, belief of, like, oh. When you reach a certain age, like, you depend on something. You depend on somebody else, like, life. Yeah. You have no control over the self. And that led, ten minutes later, into Julian Schnebel's 
fucking masterful diving bell and the butterfly. Je peux imaginer n'importe quoi. Vivre mes rêves d'enfant. Mes ambitions d'adulte. Maintenant, je veux me souvenir de moi tel que j'étais. Beau, nonchalant, glamour, séduisant, diable. Oui, glamour est très beau, du moins certains le pensaient. Ça, c'est pas moi, c'est Marlon Brando. Ça, c'est moi. So John Doe wakes up from a three-week coma, um, being a very learned man, a person who's like an editor, contributor to Elle magazine, and is locked in to himself now. He, he, he thinks he can express himself. He thinks he can speak. He thinks he can communicate, but he can't. He just can <clears throat> blink one eye, um, based on a true story of um, John Doe, uh, Jean-Dominique Bobby's um, Dive Mill the Butterfly, which is the hardest fucking book I've ever read. I mean, it's a short one, but it's the hardest book I've ever read, just knowing it. Yeah, it's, um, it, I just read it um, in preparation for this, and it's, it is, um, it's funny because it seems like at the beginning of the book that it's not going to be about anything. It's going to be a kind of, like, um, you know, he, he digresses very early on <laughs> into talking about other stuff. And then as the book kind of moves, it's, he, Starts confronting the basic facts of his existence. Desperation like sets in. Yeah, really and it's really um, it's kind of a yeah it's a it's a harrowing experience and its shortness is is um, it contributes to that. Um, he he suffers a stroke, which after a three week coma leaves him locked in. He can only blink one eye. He is fully aware of his surroundings. He is neurologically unimpaired, besides the fact that he can't speak and can't move, and. Um, Julian Schnebel, who's the absolute best director in the world to deal with this. And I would, I still argue to this day, should have fought, like, I have no country for old men higher up on my list, but it should have been Paul Thomas Anderson and Julian Schnebel this year for mm-hmm. the Oscar. Yeah. Like, those two did work with direction that was unseen. Like, the fact that a good 30% of this movie is told in unfocused shots is oh, it's fucking fantastic. Yeah. Um, but it's terrifying. And I saw this movie immediately following the savages, immediately following this thing where I was kind of like confronting death and then diving on the butterfly is just like, this is about end of life. Well, this, this... Is, this is something where you are locked in. And, um, you know, it just goes through Jean Dues familiarity with death familiarity with life be closely used to both corners um but i left both of these movies i left you know the tower theater fucking ruined Mm -hmm. i've never been as ruined by any experiences i have with these two films i left it took me two (laughs) two years to Mm -hmm. get over the experience of these movies Mm -hmm. um and it's not to criticize either of these movies these movies did exactly what they need to do. These were perfect films for the emotional reaction that they 
wanted to elicit mm-hmm. and they are movies that to this day I even coming back to this episode I was able to rewatch Savages I could not rewatch Diving Bell the Butterfly cuz it I fucking went through a good 2 months of a drinking problem after these movies um Do you think because it's these just it's made it no, yeah, because so of real. these movies yeah um which isn't necessarily a, a bad thing I mean, it's a bad thing that I had a drinking problem, but it is, it is, um, it is a testament to the power sure. of these films and a testament to the power of film in general, especially watched at the right time mm-hmm. in the right space that speaks volumes. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, Diving Bell and the Butterfly, that is a perfectly understandable reaction, I feel. It's one of the single most visceral film experiences that, I've ever had or that anyone I think could have it almost perfectly encapsulates maybe it doesn't no one can answer this question except for someone that's locked in and blinking to kind of communicate this holy shit I hope that never happens right me too Um, it's going to but it you know that kind of solidified itself for me as not a gimmick when they sewed his eye shut and you can see that you can see the whole process happening. Yeah, I couldn't. And get, I, was like, I, couldn't, I couldn't get that. that I was thing. like, "This is not a gimmick." I was like, "He's going to do this. He's going to do this the whole way, and we are going to feel what it's like the loss to be this to be this way." And actually, one of the things that I was I, I was I thought was so brave of of Schnabel, and brave is a stupid word, especially now, but the idea that he's going to show this all the way to the end. Because I don't think he had to show it all the way to the end. They didn't have to show his death. You know what I mean? Because it could you can you could interpret if you wanted to, like as the last shot faded to black, as a last shot faded to black. If he was still alive, you could you could interpret for a moment that he lived another, you know, ten years or something like this. You know that he gained some semblance of some kind of normalcy back. Yeah. He could move a finger. You know, he could do anything. But which, then, which is actually. Give anybody terrified of locked-in syndrome, it's happened. Yeah, but he doesn't even give you that. You no. know what I mean? Like, he takes you right up until that moment where he is... He The book comes out, and he's still in the same... He's not in the same place. He's not in the hospital. But he's in the same place in, within himself. And he never, he never comes out of it. He, there's no... Whether or not he enjoyed it, we never get to, we never get to know how it felt to, to know that he had... Well, the book was doing the work that it was doing. This is, this is the thing that gets me, is the fact that like these two movies together. Um, so from a visual, tangible, tactical standpoint, like Dive from Butterfly does all the works, like work of like eliciting that fear. But from a narrative, script level standpoint, Savage is just such a oh. beast. See, and that's I have a question. And it's not in relation to like how you feel about it because I totally get it. When you rewatch the Savages, are you just are you so close to it that like you can't? It feels the same way when you watch it like the first time. No, I I can get re- I was removed from it, but the, okay. that scene where Philip Seymour like I I my job somehow I ended up in a position now where like my job is that mm-hmm. um, deals with death every day yeah. and the same sort of conceptions of seeking a better step are 
all throughout. I don't know if I should be saying this, but like a person who is looking for the best possible situation mm-hmm. for their parent who's long gone. Yeah, yeah. Um, but they're looking for like the right step. But yeah. it's like the step that they want, but not necessarily a step that doesn't matter to where their parent is. Like that moment speaks to me now more vibrantly mm-hmm. than it did back then. Well, it's weird because I... I mean, I think that, I think that like that that film, Savages, is probably like the best testament to like end of life that I've ever seen. I think so. I think it is from a script standpoint. I, I from a script standpoint. I yeah. question. I don't think so, it's, yeah, I question. I don't think from that's, a direction standpoint it is. Yeah, but from a like we talked about this when we did Private Life. Jenkins is like one of the greatest screenwriters, probably of the modern. Well, time. and I love. It's funny. I would love Agreed to. Or, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. To because Jenkins, I think this. I think if this, you want to ever come on our podcast, we will give you fifteen episodes. Yeah, <laughs> and you could beat Lawrence Kasdan. Which I know you're casting, you get 13. I am um, 13 episodes. There's a bunch of things. The Diving Bell and the Butterfly is perfect, which is weird because most movies aren't perfect. It is perfect in everything that it tries to do and tries to accomplish, and it does it really well. But even in like, the, even in the kind of disjointed nature of its of its of its structure. But I don't think Roland Harwin's script. It's not trying to do a lot. No, but so that's why it's all Schnabel. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like what Schnabel's willing like to... Like Schnabel doesn't right. need... And Schnabel doesn't ever need a narrative to do much I, for him. I think the testament of Tamara Jenkins' script writing is that there's a lot of things that were happening in 2007 independent American film that kind of in 2020, which kind of worked in 2007 because everybody was doing it. Like the score. Like, like the score is just so off-puttingly saccharine and gross in its... Perfect, like I don't think independentness. No, but it's it'll it just it, it would be done differently in 2020. They would do something different. She would do private life, but she so, would, exactly, she would exactly. She so, can make savages right now and make it a different movie. I for me, to, in 2007. I mean, I, I would I would argue this. Tamara Jenkins is like beyond. Did you hit that? <laughs> I did. But I, I, beyond what, like, by the script, I, I think she's probably one of the most talented filmmakers we have in our time. I think she is too. And I, but I think because of the when the time when the Savages got made, it hewed very closely to independent film uh, convention. It was an anesthetic. It was like a, you needed to not make something so. So private life has a certain sort of intensity and urgency to yes. it. Yes. Which is needed in. Shit face it, orange face, he should be dead. Trump's America. Yeah, quote me on that. George W. Bush was like an asshole who didn't know what was going on. And Jenkins was like a little more soft in that moment. Mm-hmm. Like it was it was a soft moment of like realization. She's really in tune with the world. Like private life has a real certain urgency and intensity to it. Savages, wow, still being like a really intense sort of message has this necessarily sort of I don't want to say dry delivery but well it's weird because it, it's billed as a comedy mostly because George Zippy Bush was like a flawed human who sucked versus Donald Trump who the, is the, just be flayed yeah um, but it, it I'm it's, supporting that by the way <sighs> on air yeah it's, I mean who was not supporting that my kids are supporting that um Unless you fix yourself. If you fix yourself, we won't play you. I'm not fix sure. Fix yourself. 
I'm saying that so we don't get arrested. Okay. Fix yourself. Um, if the, yeah, I mean, if the Secret Service were monitoring our podcast, that would be... Well, I'm not, I'm not going to do it. That would be a, an honor. It would be an honor. Thank you. I'm going to um, get fired. Add us to the list. Um, I think... If, if a QAnon guy can stay in yeah. New Haven PD, I think I'm fine saying... Donald Trump sucks. If a QAnon person can win a major party nomination for Congress. We don't want to go there? I don't want to go. go I'll go there off air. Um, <laughs> I, I think the, the interesting thing, if you compare... And I don't, well, that's... Uh, I, 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 you I compare private life to, to the savages. The interesting thing about the savages is that it hews to convention where private life like... Well, I guess... Re- it it, it, it doesn't hew to convention. The private, private life exists in... On its own terms, where this movie seems to be like attached to something. I'm gonna say this. This is what I'm gonna say. Like the thing I just said, like the really intense feelings I just said. Like I always felt like there was this level of necessary hewing to um, I'm I'm trying to look for the right word. Yeah, hewing to. Social norms, mm. hewing to just kind of like not speaking my mind, mm-hmm. and the savages on Dying Bell and Butterfly just said like to me. Both of those films said like speak your mind, but think it through. Because mm. like both those movies are just like live your life after like sitting in it and living it, and like I I, I give them credit like they fucked me up yeah really bad for a while. But since then, like, I haven't held so much inside anymore. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, things I feel really intensely. Now I kind of, like, speak them. Yeah. And I credit those movies. These, these two movies, I think... My Devin Bullet Butterfly, I think, is, is a perfect movie by itself. I think Savages is imperfect, but I think these two movies together are a real fucking treat. Oh, sure. I have, I have more questions. And it's directly related to the Philip Seymour Hoffman speech that we heard at the beginning of the mm. show that we've kind of referenced. I, I don't know, ever know what to do with it. Because part of me thinks that it's true. It's a true statement. It's, it's real. It's like the real thing that, that Wendy needs to hear. Um, that he needs to say that we all need to be aware of. You know what I mean? Which we're not aware of. You know what I mean? We all think... And in my family, like we've just kind of gone through this a little bit. Um, where you just kind of think the best thing is going to happen. And, like, you know, if you just keep stay positive, then things are good and whatever. It's a mindset thing. But in reality, it's it's more in line with what Philip Seymour Hoffman thinks. I think the genius of this movie, and I think the genius of Philip Seymour Hoffman's performance in this movie, is that... R.I.P. I don't know... Which is a bummer. It's, like, I really it's don't like want to... Like, this movie just, like, really makes his death just the worst. But, good. Obviously, for me, it's a different movie. Um... But it's all attached the to M? the same thing. The S- N? Oh, yes, and Y. Yeah, the 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 sports network, Sports New York, <laughs> the Mets movie, the Art Howe movie, Moneyball is my number one. Um, <laughs> I don't. I think the genius of it is that I don't know how honest a speech it is. I think it's. I think it's. I think it's tremendously honest in a sense of. No, so, no, just from his character's perspective. Oh. Is he giving it because he thinks it's true? Or is he giving it because the nature of his thinking 
requires him, like the you know, he's a, a professor of philosopher. He's required to think of things on this level. And in the same way that good landscaping makes Wendy feel better, thinking of death in this way makes him feel better. Well, no, I think I think it works because. So I, I go into this as like a Wendy. Oh, oh, I think it works. I think it works better than I think almost any speech that was given between 2000 and 2010 works. Yeah. I think it works because because it's, he's, it's, it's intent is so ambiguous. Yeah. Um, because like Wendy goes into this like thinking a certain thing and then he le- like she goes out of it thinking something else and he also goes out of it thinking something else. Because like the part where in the end he's crying like almost he's crying basically after seeing like the child lifted He's talking about like Brecht and magical realism yep. and everything, and like she looks at him and says like Wendy says like Are you crying? And like it wasn't a factor of his character. Mm-hmm. Um, works fundamentally well because I think the savages says a lot about death without saying a lot about death. It says like Don't kid yourself about like the physiological aspects of it, but like also at the same time, not necessarily think of metaphysical elements, but it says like. Life means more to you in the moment than those physical elements, and he never accepts that. That's awesome until that moment when he says it, and he kind of like looks around where he was like, "Yes, when you're dying, the physical elements are all that is left." You know. Well, I think that, and then like when he leaves that moment, he's like, "But when you're not dying." All these other things play in the role. Like the fact that he's going to Poland to have the speech, to have the talk, is 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 plays into the role of the fact that like there's a bigger I don't want to say metaphysical, but there's a bigger philosophical implication to life besides like the very core obvious. But here's the weird thing about that, and I think it's one of the great things about it, is that I think the FEMA aspect of it, the nine eleven aspect of it, mm-hmm. I think is really important. And I didn't get it at first. And I, I thought I, it, didn't either. I thought it was just a joke like I'm oh ha, 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 really ha, ha. actually surprised like Tamar Jenkins was like so on the pulse like in 2007 with yeah that. but I think now talking about it and thinking about it because it's the thing that I thought most about upon this like most recent viewing because it was it was the thing that kind of stuck in my craw the first time I was like I don't get why that's funny mm-hmm. but it, she clearly means to be funny it's 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 like encapsulated death you know what I mean and she is going to benefit from these people these people dying in a way it's the unreality of death it's another example of Wendy kind of saying like this isn't real it's just a thing for me to kind of yeah and it's and I think that's the I think that's a really interesting thing about the, the, the final scene there that you just described is that life looks different for her than it does for her brother. And so he's talking about like all this magical realism stuff. In a way, she's just kind of saying, like, this was my experience. I could float I could float away from this thing. I don't know if he was also like she was also placed on a counter and was just punched in the face or slapped in the face by her father. We don't know that. How do it's I just, react to this? Do I see them flying yeah. away? I love that line. <laughs> yeah. Um, the, the actor going like, do I see it? Um, but I think it's really important that that play happens because for the whole movie you think Wendy's full of shit. And you're, her, the idea that she might be talented or worthy 
of any consideration for anything isn't even really on the table. She's just a fuck up. But the, the like the inclusion of the play says that she's not. She's just I, as broken as her brother is, yeah. but in a totally different way. Well, it's like way, subjective brokenness. The way I always saw it, like Jenkins' intent was, was that she throws away things pretty quickly. And the fact that she's keeping the dog suggests that she's like allowing herself to kind of like mellow wallow in kind of like the way she's supposed to feel for a Mm -hmm. while which is like seems easy right yeah um but from the sense that you know jean is like such this like intensely complex character like i hate to say this but like like in savages like the movies about him to me which is maybe phil bosco no just about Philip Seymour Hoffman's character. Oh, yeah. And, which is probably my own personal bias, but, like, because I don't feel she has, she she's, like, getting there. Like, Wendy's getting there, but she's not, like, she's starting to taste it, Yeah, John is there. See, I came from a different perspective because I took Philip Seymour Hoffman really for granted at that point in my life, and Laura Linney was still, like, a magician. So I was, she was still, oh, no. in my mind, writing the... Humorously enough, yeah. I thought you can the count on thing. me. Like wave, where I'm just like anything Laura Linney wants to do, like sign me up. But I was like in the world of like Laura Linney in Squid the Whale, yeah. And I was actually in a bad place with Philip Seymour Hoffman of like disliking him with Charlie Wilson's War, which fucking sucks. Yeah, Tom Hanks um, has made a lot of bad prestige films. Yes, but uh, no, like like for. I, I guess it was it was a lot like before the devil knows you're dead played a, a pretty big role in this mm-hmm. like that movie has a really like Sidney Lumet mm-hmm. right knew mm-hmm. how to very much draw the line and like Philip Seymour Hoffman's really complex character and that kind of like drives that through. I saw it before the devil knows you're dead three weeks before I saw both these movies mm-hmm. and like until I did this episode I never realized like how much. That actually played a role, probably, in how I kind of, like, ingested Mm. savages. Um, Which is not to say that, like, the way Wendy approaches it's wrong, or the way Wendy approaches it is superficial. But, like, it definitely... Like, these movies set the tone for how I see film. And, like, Before the Devil Knows You're Dead... And the way, um, I just can't remember his character's name, but Philip Super Hoffman's character plays in that role. I was kind of like in that sort of perspective going into mm-hmm. the savages. And I'm just like so in there. One of, and I think, just immediately following that with Diamond Butterfly, which well, so kind of deals with the bigger meta elements of death. Not only that, but I think, the, the, I think what you're describing too is that you come into the savages with context in some way not for the film necessarily but for the people that you're seeing mm. on film the dive of the butterfly is a totally different you haven't seen no you don't anything see like this movie you haven't seen anybody do anything like that movie you haven't seen i mean i think the closest thing i can think of at this time is i don't even know if it i think it might even be later no it has to be earlier is um Uh, yeah, it's later. So beautiful. No, it isn't until like two years later. It's something like beautiful. Oh yeah, beautiful. I remember with, that. I remember um, it. 
Alexander. Like, I think Diamond Blood Butterfly is like one of the first films that like get you deeply into that kind of like spectrum. Like, because we can admit it, like Julian, a lot of people say like in 2007, it's amazing that like hot, like, you know, Schnebel snuck in there and it's like, no, it's no, not. No, it's not. Like he was, it's, it, this isn't the pizza. Um, they will call us. They will be a text message. Um, like, Julian Schnebel just did such a, like, you're dealing with two powerhouses that year in Paul Thomas Anderson and the Coen Brothers. Mm-hmm. I don't necessarily think the Coen Brothers directed their faces off. They just did everything else right. Well, I think they did direct their faces off, but it doesn't feel the same as no. Paul Thomas Anderson directing his face or Julian Schnabel directing his face off. But, like, when you're dealing with, what is it, like, Gilroy that year? Yeah. Like it's nominated for Michael Clayton. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking of who else? Uh, I got it right here. Does Reitman get nominated for Juno? I'm going to tell you in a second. Hold on. Where is it? Where is it? The fact that, like, Julian Schnabel is, like, the left wing. Like, the left wing. It is Joel Ethan Cohen, Julian Schnabel, yeah, Reitman, Gilroy, and Paul Thomas Anderson. Yeah, like... Which is fucking stupid. Well, Reitman... Well, I was trying to think of who's the other one that everyone said should have been nominated that year. There was somebody who should have been... Everyone says, like, it's... Oh, Joe Wright. Joe Wright for um, Atonement. Everyone says should have been nominated that year. Who says? Not me. No, not web, fucking me. Websites say that, which I will not, because that uh, that film got exactly the one Oscar it deserved. It didn't deserve any Oscars. It got the one. It got one nomination it deserved. No, it, it won one Oscar. No, but I'm saying what? What? It didn't deserve it deserved, to win. It deserved what? Score. The score is great. Dario or Genti does. Ah, over Johnny Greenwood? I would say, I wish Johnny Greenwood wasn't disqualified. I wish that had been like a fight. But like, you have to think a 2007 film using the typewriter as oh, a come major on. focus. is It's impressive. Like, that's not happening in I'm 2007. Gonna, I that's talk, not happening in film at that Fine, time. but it's hard for me to say. I th- I, Atonement fucking sucked. It does suck. It's a terrible movie. So, like, but I convinced myself that Atonement was a good movie because that score oh, is really know. great. I don't know. And I think like Johnny Greenwood should have two Oscars right now. Johnny Greenwood it. should have fifteen Oscars. You know what movie I thought a lot about, and I don't really want to change the subject. But I suppose we, we are, could. But... We could change the subject. I'm actually come around to the Joaquin Phoenix Oscar because I've been thinking for Joker. I just because I don't think it's for Joker. I think it's for right. I think it's for everything. Fuck that! I don't no. You don't give fucking like. I don't think it's kudos Oscars. No, I think it's I think they're all kudos Oscars at this point. Do you remember like I? You know what movie I watched this week because I just wanted to watch it. What movie, George? This is me sounding unpleased. No, no, it's the it's your. I don't remember what movie where you had it on your 2018, but um, you were never really here. It's my number three or two. I thought it was two, but it could have been three. He's just fucking amazing. He is. And I feel like, I feel like the Oscars now have moved into a place where they are no longer giving Oscars for actual performances. The Casey Affleck thing, I think, is an oddity. It's become like for a, Manchester a, by for the Manchester sea. by the Sea because I think in reality, Denzel Washington just gets that Oscar for fences for fences because. That's why they give Oscars now. They don't give Oscars for that year performances. They gave Oscar for career stuff. Joaquin Phoenix has been just 
amazing for years. And they just kind of were like, well, this movie, we can, we, you know, doesn't matter. Um, he just, yeah, just, I think 2007, I think 2007 is a, is a, is a, is a, Tough year. Best the I, for I both will say of these this things. as a person who doesn't like there will be blood. The right best actor won. Oh sure. The wrong best actress won. Take yeah. that, Marianne Coltiard. You should not have won it. I mean, she was very good in *The Vienna*. She was. Laura Linney should have won. Sure. But here, my thing with Laura Linney is, I don't. I don't think people knew yet. Yeah. Like they knew. Well, but she they was, didn't know. Was she nominated? She was nominated once before. I, I think, think she was probably. nominated for Mystic River. Wasn't she supporting actress for Mystic River? I don't remember. I can look it up. Let's look it up. She wasn't nominated, obviously, for oh my god, fucking Zellweger won last year. Uh, last year, I keep forgetting this. Who the fuck gave Zellweger Oscar? Like, Zellweger, she has two fucking... Oscars. Mario? Does she? Yeah, Cold Mountain and this. Oh right. She got nominated for You Can Count on Me, Kinsey, Best Supporting, and Savages. Last year sucked. Besides, like, giving Best Picture to the right movie for what was nominated, last year sucked. Well, let's see here, though, Mario. She's won one, two, three, four Emmys. Zellweger? No, Laura Linney. Oh. Zellweger hasn't won any Emmys. <laughs> so Zellweger's won for John Adams. Laura Linney. Laura Linney was one for John Adams. She won for John Adams, Frasier, as best guest. I don't remember that. Um, yeah, she was Frasier's girlfriend in the last season. And Wild Iris, best Don't leading actress in a miniseries or movie. And she won for The Big C. Oh, Big C. That, yeah. was, good. that was good. It was a good C show. was good. No. And she's nominated for Ozark this year, which Ozark I think everyone thinks she's going to win. Fucking great, though. I haven't seen the newest season, but the first two seasons... Ozark were great. I don't watch television, so I couldn't. I say. hate television. I watched Ozark because I heard there was a lot of blood in it. <laughs> it's literally the way I see shows. But no, um, just going back to to close out this aspect of twenty three, um, twenty two. Sorry, uh, is sometimes you see things in the right moment. Yeah, fuck yeah, and man. They ruin you. I don't know if you. Yeah, not yet. Okay. I have. I don't. Know if, I don't. You haven't mentioned it yet. Well, I I tend to um. My th- my thirteen is one of those because it's fairly new, mm. like not in reality, but it's new to me, and it its context I think was significant, and I'm hoping I hope we haven't talked about this because it doesn't matter because I have no idea when we're going to get to it, but I hope that I can get. Um, a guest on for that episode but I, it'll kind of depend on I suppose on what schools do um, and then like my my, you know I think a lot of the stuff in the top in, in my top 10 are kind of are kind of that way for me where um, I think for me it's not the it's not the instant ruination it's the con- which this was for me. It's the continued ruination. Oh, my number sixteen, Mario, is one of those movies for me. Okay, but anyways, in brighter news, <laughs> we are going to keep doing this podcast. We're talking about possibly she dies tomorrow next week or something yep. else that strikes our fancy. We have a new S. Craig um, Zoller 
book coming out soon. Yeah, it's, he's got a lot of stuff coming out. He's got a graphic novel coming out too. Does he really? Yeah. We're gonna, I want to talk about the book. Yeah. Because those are always fun. And uh, the book about um, just the World War II. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk about it in a few weeks. Uh, if you want to text us about anything. Text be- us. <laughs> or, Here is my phone number. Yeah. <laughs> if you want to message us anything about your crazy opinions on, you know what? What movies ever like hit you in the gut and just kept punching you forever and mm. ever? You can text us at Film Pivotal. Or you can send us an email at pivotalfilmpodcast at gmail.com. Or you can go to a not recently updated website, pivotalfilm.com, and see a list of our episodes, uh, of our movies on our Pivotal Film list and the beers we drank and how to subscribe to stuff. Uh, yeah, it's going to be... Uh, let's get through August, people. And yeah. then from a film perspective, it's going to be a fun September. It's going to be a real fun September. No, it'll be a um, A lot of stuff coming out. So, uh, yeah watch some movies, drink some beers, and we will talk to you next week.